welcome to another episode of Open World. Today with us, we have Renee Giddings. Renee is the executive director of IGDA. IGDA is the International Game Developers Association. How are you today, Renee? I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. Yeah, we're very excited to have you today. And we're very excited to learn about your journey within the gaming industry, what it takes to be part of IDDA, what are you working on? So um, not many of our uh, audience, not many people that uh, tune in are familiar with IDDA. So we're very excited to, to have you here and learn more about what you're doing. So we know that you are a programmer and a game designer, right? Uh, so we wanted to learn a bit more about what's your favorite part within the game design uh, of, a, of a video game. And what are your inspirations or even concepts that you take into account uh, during this stage to not to miss direction? Yeah, absolutely. Um... So what I think really compels me about video game development in general is that it brings together so many different disciplines and studies. Uh, Pretty much anything you learn can be practical within video games. Uh, Of course, you know, there's programming and art and, and composition and design, but you know, if you have a history degree, you know, you can provide historical insight. You know, if you have a literature degree, you can help with writing in-game books or, or with the dialogue, dialogue creation. I just love how games as a medium bring together all of these different elements of, you know, human creation and creativity and uh, innovation. And similarly with game design, which I really appreciate about it, is it is problem solving but not technical problem solving. Certainly there's technical problems. Uh, I've always been somebody who loves solving problems, Um, but when it comes down to it, math problems and science problems and and problems that have straightforward answers are, in my opinion, a lot easier than soft problems. You know, people problems, design problems, (laughs) you know, encouraging and evoking emotion and satisfaction and curiosity those are very difficult problems yeah Yeah, you get more personal so you you have to be very careful where to draw the line or where to get more involved right in the narrative exactly yeah and i i love that kind of problem solving and that's what uh compels me about game design Though I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily the most inspired game designer. I know I have a a very good friend who has literally journals, like books and books of notebooks of game designs. Like he just has game designs come out of his brain all the time and has to write them down. um, And then we'll eventually pick one to try to to make. I design through frustration. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's a nice fuel. Right. I will play a game and I will just get so frustrated about some aspect of it. Um, and these are generally large concepts, not like, oh, I hate this mechanic or I hate, you know, this UI. I'll get I'll get frustrated with like an entire game concept. Uh, and then I will design a game based on my frustration there. Uh, and the game that I'm currently working on, Potions of Curious Tale. Uh, it's an adventure crafting game where you play as a young witch. She brews magical potions and she uses those as spells to battle monsters and solve puzzles. But the, the reason I created that game is because I was playing a game called Pixel Dungeon uh, on the phone. And it was yeah. a roguelike dungeon crawler. 
and it had two elements that I found not great. Uh, one is you had to eat food and each step you took slowly decreased your food you had and you could start your energy. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then the other element is you want to find the entrance down to the next level of the dungeon, but you have to kill all of the monsters on the level in order to level up enough to beat the boss monster. That's like five or 10 levels down, which meant that if you were playing the game and you found the entrance down early, it was bad. It was a bad thing to find the, the, the exit to the next level because it meant that you had to still clear out the rest of the level and you lose your food energy and, and things like that on your way. And I was like, this is so frustrating. It's so frustrating. That's <laughs> something that should be satisfying and that feels good. Like, oh yes, like going deeper in the dungeon should feel good. Instead, felt yeah. the exact opposite. Uh, because you weren't prepared for to be in the second level, right? Right. And that put me on like a whole tirade of like, why do games work the way they work? Uh, and it brought me to a conclusion that I don't really like experience, like the like leveling up experience. It's just right. funny because I play lots of RPGs. They are generally very, very experience-based, but it encourages bad behavior. For example, you're usually a hero in these games, but yeah. you get praised for just being completely psychopathic and murdering everything you see, <laughs> right? Like grinding. Right, grinding. You know, it's like grinding. instead of just like, oh, yeah, like, kill some bunnies for some bunny fur. But if yeah. you keep killing bunnies, you still profit from <laughs> it, right? Like even when you're you've slayed like thousands of bunnies, far more bunnies than you should ever kill. And it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel very heroic. And so I wanted to make a game that was balancing the cost of fighting with the benefit. Uh, and that's where I came up with potions. It's, it's all based around potions because that is resource management and you literally don't have an ability to kill anything unless you're using resources to do so. Uh, so it means that when you, you, as you get stronger, you don't want to go through and murder everything because it's a waste <laughs> of resources to try to do that. Uh, yeah. And similarly, the way you progress, like progress throughout the game is you learn new things and you figure out new puzzles and you're sort of expanding the tools and resources available to you. So it feels more personal, your growth, instead of just like you got some numbers and your number bar went up and now your number bar is bigger, right? You're, you're stronger because you killed a, a bunch of bunnies and you got yeah, exactly. out of it. Uh, but <laughs> I know that you are a witch in your game, right? Yes. Uh, I know yes. that you've been working for quite a while in your game. Do you have an ETA? And other than that, um, how's the dev process behind this game that you are so passionate about? And I want to know then if you are thinking about localizing it. Uh, I know that that's uh, quite the task as an indie developer, right? But what right. can you tell us about the, that whole process? Yeah. Um, so we launched our alpha last December uh, mm. and we're getting close to beta. We're probably about 85% of the way done with the game content. Oh, and wow. right now I'm actually bringing on a designer or two. This is the first nice. time I've announced it. So okay. uh, to, wow. to help with the... <laughs> we have 
with the, the final news. you do breaking news <laughs> breaking uh, news yeah to, to help with the final polishing um you know additional puzzles you know additional elements in the dungeons you know helping with tuning the boss fights um so we're, we're getting real close um i won't say a date but that's my have yeah, a date okay. in mind uh just need to make sure all the, the parts are, are falling into place there um now, localization is a really interesting question because something that you might also know about my game is that it is very culturally inclusive. Uh, it's yeah. actually inspired mm -hmm. by fairy tales and folklore from around the world. Mm -hmm. So we have, you know, uh, Baba Yaga from Slavic lore and Tripitaka mm -hmm. and Samu Kong from Journey to the West, you know, traditional Western European um, fantasy and things like the zakwam fruit from Islamic legend. Um, and bringing those all together, I wanted to make sure that this was a, quite a worldly game. And because of that, I was thinking about localization from the very start. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't, you know, <laughs> whether or not it will be localized, that is one question, um, but I built all of our systems with that plan. Right, the only fun, thing yeah. that I didn't plan out yet was um, buttons, like the button text. I, uh. I don't have a lot of button <laughs> text, so that'll be something that will be fairly easy to go in and, and provide updates for. Um, but all of the dialogue, uh, I based around the ability to be able to localize it because I knew that, uh, most localization companies like to use, uh, CSVs or XML files. And so I built our dialogue system to be fed by XML files. Nice. Um, I think when people are first making games, they're sort of tempted to hard code in their dialogue, which right. is bad in so many ways, right? Like, not only does it make your dialogue much less accessible to anyone who is not technical, no. like you're not really. sending some poor writer in there, um, yeah. but it makes it very, very hard to localize because you have to cut and paste it all out and then send it over and then cut and paste everything back in. Yeah. Uh, whereas I have it where I could just export a bunch of CSV files, send them in. And then even if they're, the titles can change like that, they don't even have to be right. like consistently named files. I can just throw them all in a folder and it magically works. It goes through, it processes all the keys uh, and I can then change elements such as the language very easily. Yeah. But that's like the ideal stage for a game that's in the alpha stage, right? Uh, so that's that's amazing. That that's that's good enough for uh, an alpha stage game, almost beta, to have localization in mind from the very first moment, mm -hmm. and then you can work your way around it. You're certainly creating that space to make it easier for the future, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and setting. You know, setting up your CSVs properly, uh, using unique keys for triggering dialogue events and things like that allow you a lot of flexibility to add an additional functionality um, apart from localization. So right. I have um, audio triggers that I can put into those, uh, those files as well. Um, I have the the visuals for you know characters who are talking, and then I've pre-built um, ability to like change their facial expression. Even though right now everyone just has a single dialogue image, uh, it's it's built so that if I want to have um, multiple dialogue images, so they can look like angry or happy or surprised, um, that's very very easy to integrate. 
I think that's that's amazing that you are um, taking all those considerations beforehand and not um, having localization as an afterthought, like we like to say. But um, I'm curious on how you learned that lesson. Was it the hard way? Did you start hard coding your first uh, games or was it something that you learned by uh, reaching out to colleagues and, and friends within the industry? Um, gosh, uh, I think I learned it just, I really, like I said, I really like problem solving. Uh, and one of the things <laughs> I wanted to do is make sure that I was future-proofing without over-future-proofing. Um, and because of that, you know, I, I believe in that very strongly. Anytime you're architecting any system, whether it is games, whether it is in mechanical engineering, which actually that's my background, uh, you want to make sure that you're building it in a way where you can expand upon it if you think it's going to expand it in a certain way uh, with minimal cost. And, you know, right now I don't have a localization system in potions, but adding a localization system will be very easy because I structured my game to support that. Uh, and that's how I've tried to, to develop the entire game and, and the games and projects that I work on as well. I make sure that I'm considering what directions, you know, the, the features, the product, the game might take and that those are considered in the base architecture and design. Uh, and I think that is sometimes learned through the school of hard knocks, but you can prevent a lot of that school of hard knock learning if you just you know, really sit down and consider the features that you want to have. Oh yeah, for sure. That's, I think that's great advice uh, for everyone who's starting with their uh, project and don't know what to, to plan for. Um, and well, going back to IGDA, um, because of course we, we're eager to learn uh, what you're working on. And we also know that you work towards different uh, initiatives related to video game localization. Um, so I, I was very curious to know, is there anything specific that game developers uh, are interested in when it comes to localization or are there any um, questions that are repeated over and over in terms of localization when, uh, when it comes to developers? Um, I think that one of the biggest questions that I've seen among developers uh, is sort of twofold. Uh, one is what languages should we be localizing into? And the second is- <laughs> The million is, dollar question, right? Right. <laughs> uh, and the second is, um, how do we ensure that on the game side, you know, we're getting easy to integrate localization? And you know, mm -hmm. obviously having these modular systems, making sure you can integrate the dialogue, you know, translations uh, easily is one thing, but you actually even have to think about the UI you're using, which you know, text you're using. I think a lot of people forget that your font might not support you know, all the languages you're localizing into. Yes. And so you yeah. also have to add, you know, additional functionality to change the fonts along with the, the languages you're, you know, you're, you're providing localized text. Um, I actually, uh, I saw one of my friends had a, uh, like a technical test for like a technical producer test um, for an interview they were having. And in that, uh, there was some like gotchas and all of the problems. Uh, and 
I noticed when they were, uh, one of the problems is like, oh, we, you know, we need to, to do a global launch. We want to make sure that everything's localized. We have it all localized in eFigs. And, you know, as you're probably aware, eFigs is not like the current standard. Uh, for those who are not familiar with eFigs, it's for English, French, Italian, German, and Spanish, mm -hmm. uh, which is a whole bunch of languages that don't accompany, don't work for pretty much a majority of the world, right? Like English has exactly. good like translation, but you're looking at like simplified Chinese is going to get right. you a far larger market than Italian is going to get you. No offense to, to Italian. Italian's great, but. <laughs> no, but it's very important to have um, like the proper market research, you know, exactly. not just let's go ifix because that's what you have to do, right? No, know where you want to get your game uh, published and what type, what languages do, does the gamer that you want to reach out talk, right? Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, doing some research on similar games and seeing, you know, looking at Steam stats and seeing what languages they're being played in, like what regions are playing them as well. Exactly. And Renee, yeah, yeah. I think that's super important to, to understand like what genres work on each specific market, right? As well. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Ellie, go that, ahead. No, please, Thor, please, it's okay. Um, I think that this may be like something that comes in, in the future of what we are talking, like really. But if you had the chance to look into this future of the video game industry from your position, as both things, right? As the IGDA CEO and as a, as a developer, I don't know, 10 years from now in the near future or whatever, what do you think or what would you absolutely love to see like happening on a regular basis that you think that there's lacking right now? What I'm seeing the growth of and what I'm excited to see grow more is the development of games from more regions. I mean, obviously there are game developers now everywhere, but we're seeing a lot of enterprising game industry markets coming from uh, regions that have previously not had that presence. Uh, you know, Africa is a big one that's up and coming. Um, we're also seeing uh, countries who have often provided outsourcing like India, um, bringing more development in their in-house to develop their own projects instead of just uh, providing assistance for other people's. Uh, and I'd like to see that more and more because obviously, you know, games are the largest entertainment industry in the world, um, yeah. but they have so much more room to grow in terms of supporting in all of these different regions and cultures uh, because they, they haven't been fully global um, at least not until more recently and we absolutely can see more of that and i'm seeing more of that up and coming every year this is calcifer he says hi okay yes uh, we need a proper yeah. introduction now <laughs> <laughs> you want to say hi calcifer hi calcifer oh my goodness he's gonna <laughs> make it to the episode very big so the fact that he's uh, called calcifer is just Great. <laughs> yes, yes. Named after the fire demon in Howl's movie mm -hmm. Castle. Yeah, it suits him. Yes. 
it's like mom stop it yes, no. <laughs> oh, so he gold. likes he likes being cradled so he's oh, perfectly he's happy here. Yeah. well welcome calcifer <laughs> so um picking up on your last um comments on the industry in general like it, it feels like uh you're um aiming towards more diversity equity and inclusion uh within the, the gaming industry and i know this has been a really hot topic in the last years but it's this is something that you've been advocating and working towards for many many years regardless of the the current status of the industry and I know that there are many people out there trying to fully understand how they can collaborate and, and work together and create partnerships with different associations such as IGDA, even uh, Women in Games and other um, associations that represent minorities within different markets and different countries. And is there any way or path you would recommend to game developers that want to get more involved in this initiatives and don't know where to start? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the IGDA has many, many resources that can help on all different levels of that. Uh, if you're interested in just learning more about creating an inclusive workspace and a, a healthy work culture, we actually published a paper during the summer called Guide for Game Companies, How to Create and Sustain a Positive Work Culture, which talks about tools for, you know, DEI, but also for, you know, just creating a, a healthy work culture that's going to best support your employees and their mental health and their, their, their wellness and well-being. Um, and of course, you know, equity and inclusion is a large part of that. We're also just about to publish another paper um, that is called Inclusive Game Design and Development. It's about how to create inclusive game development projects from building your initial team and you know, concepting the game and world all the way through the design of the game, accessibility considerations, and all the way through marketing and community development. Um, so those are going to be great resources uh, for anyone who is interested in learning more about those subjects. If you are passionate about you know, improving um, the resources for the industry or helping others and taking a stand, we have special interest groups, um, both affinity and discipline based. So we have women in games, LGBTQ+, um, Muslims in games, Blacks in games, um, all the way through disciplines such as game writers, game designers, quality assurance. And those communities come together all from all over the world to help uplift each other and to provide support to these topics that they are passionate about. Well, that's amazing. And what when uh, do you think uh, this paper is gonna be published? Do you have a date for that? I do, it's gonna be early December. Excellent. Yeah. And what if someone from our audience wants to reach out to IGDA and get more information about how to become a member or even how to collaborate in those different initiatives or uh, special groups that you're mentioning? Yeah, all of that information is available at IGDA.org. Uh, if you'd like to become a member, of course, we'll welcome you, but you're more than welcome to join our Discord communities, uh, even without membership. 
We have studio affiliation if you're looking to get assistance for supporting all of your studio members. And uh, of course, we have all of those wonderful resources on our resource library that you can find right on that website as well. Yeah, we're going to leave all the links below yes, from the IGDA and from Potions at Curious Tale, uh, the Steam page as well. Thank you. Thank oh, you. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> All right. Well, what, how do we feel about going through the memes now? <laughs> it's uh, about time. So yeah. I'm going to share my screen. Yes. So doctors Googling stuff online does not make you a doctor. Programmers are like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Think twice about that. <laughs> yeah. All right. I have to Google things all the time when I'm when I'm coding. Uh, I'll forget something silly like the exact formatting of switch statements or something like that. And I'll just be like, all right, you know, C sharp switch statement, easy enough, look it up. Um, but yeah, always, always looking up things, especially when you're working in a game engine. You know, you need require so much documentation to understand how um, different calls are operating and, and what you're getting back. So absolutely constantly googling things mm -hmm. <laughs> but please everyone go see your doctor uh, this is just for programmers <laughs> i don't know and now that you men mentioned engines what engine are you working on right now for, so uh potions of curious tale is being made in unity i found oh, that its great. combination of 2d and 3d tools were really compelling plus its ability to export easily to pretty much any platform nice, nice. excellent the two states of every programmer <laughs> i'm a god versus i have no idea what i'm doing <laughs> The Googling comes in on one of these. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I can imagine that the guy on the left it can has come a in, tab in both. somewhere. <laughs> I, I have had... Uh, so a funny thing about Unity is uh, a lot of times the way that you write the code is you're writing mono behaviors and they don't run unless they exist in the scene. And so you'll okay. spend all this time writing new code and new functionality and then you'll test it and it's not working. And you, you'll, put in, you'll put in print statements or you'll try to debug it and it's not being called and it's not printing. And I have spent you know, up to 30 or 40 minutes trying to figure out what's wrong. And I forgot to add the code to the scene. I just didn't scene. like drag and My drop God. it onto an object. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yeah. Well, we, <laughs> we all have those moments, yeah. like we're, both geniuses and this dog with no idea what they're <laughs> doing. Yeah. And it's funny because I go straight from, I have no idea what I'm doing to I add it in and it runs perfectly the first time that I'm, I'm a god. <laughs> Never so, didn't have it. <laughs> these, are, these are interchangeable. So oh, this, absolutely. This happen both ways. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, how often does this happen to you? <laughs> oh boy. Uh, when I'm doing a lot of programming, it, ha it happens all of the time. Um, I think that 
what I really appreciate about this meme is that this is not the original version. Uh, the original version when she's in panel four is like existential dread, you know, <laughs> yeah. hence the face, but it works perfectly yeah. for, for thinking about that bug as well. well. Unsolved bugs can be ex existential threats. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, you know, the funny thing is human brains work better when you're not just constantly focused on a problem. So this is 100% happens. Um, I can get too much into it, but there is actually a lot of reason why if you get stuck on a problem, you should go take a walk. Uh, so yes. yeah. Or shower or whatever agree. you need. I recommend some light exercise because that feeds your brain. Um, but yeah, totally. get away from your problems instead of just bashing your face and your keyboard. Yeah, some fresh air, uh, sunlight, and just get the blood flowing and then come back and everything will feel a little better. <laughs> mm -hmm, 100%. For sure. Okay, that's one. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she has no idea what's going on. <laughs> I have to say that I needed context the first time I saw this. I needed explanations. Uh, I thought it was just like the cutest thing, but no. It looks cute. I, 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 I really enjoyed like dark humor that's hidden. You know, I don't uh, like, I don't like, yeah, you me know, too. over the top dark humor uh, or in your face dark humor, but I love dark humor that's under a few layers of understanding. That just, right. that just tickles me. Uh, and yes, this is very dark. <laughs> yes. Well, would you, would you uh, like to walk our audience through this? Because maybe some people need all Yeah, I imagine. Um, so if you're not watched Full Metal Alchemist, uh, mm -hmm. this is a spoiler. So if you're gonna watch it, don't listen. Uh, don't listen for the next like minute. Um, <laughs> this guy is like a scientist. He's do, he he does experiments, but um, one of the things that he does is he combines his daughter with the family dog into a chimera uh, and creates this yeah. horrific suffering creature that wants nothing more than to be put out of its misery. Um, yeah. So this. Uh, this filter of, you know, seeing her yeah, with the dog. Yeah, it's really dark. The dog, yeah, it's really it's dark. very dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, poor thing has no idea what's going on. <laughs> He's like, come on, I'm going to take a, a picture of you. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> again, Googling. Uh, yeah. Again, interchangeable. <laughs> yeah. One thing comes with the other. One thing can be two things. So. The, yep. I would say the, the hardest thing about game development. So I, I've actually mentored high school students in game development before. Um, and the hardest thing isn't coming up with game ideas. It is figuring out how to solve problems you haven't faced before. Um, and 90% of that, aside from just like the initial approach of you know figuring out what the problem even is, is figuring out how to type it into Google <laughs> because <laughs> right. you know, obviously like, how do you phrase this? Like, what sort of terminology do you use? If you're a self-taught programmer, you know, I, I was a self-taught programmer or a self-taught game developer. A lot of times you don't even know the terms that you should be using right. to describe the problem that you're facing or what you're looking to solve or the tool you're looking to access. Mm -hmm. um, 
So being good at Googling is a very, very important skill to being a good game developer. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> and the same applies to video game translators because most of the time, well, more often than we like to, we don't have enough context. And if we're lucky enough, we're working on a franchise or um, something that we can Google. <laughs> if not, we'll have to go into the deep uh, web and find how that specific term or word can be localized into your uh, culture and into your language, right? Yeah. So Google is a really good skill. I have to ask about that. How do you handle names? Well, that depends um, on, of course, the game that you're working on and the client and if they have a style yeah. guide. Or if they, because maybe you can open the discussion and decide together with them, because sometimes they have a clear vision and they know that they want their games to be fully localized to, because they, the names may refer to something within the narrative or a characteristic of the, the, of the, um, the, character. Uh, uh, the character. Yeah. So you may want that to be localized and sometimes you don't. Uh, but it's a process that you go through together with uh, the game developers or even the publisher, because, of course, if you're going to localize and look for uh, the same impact, you have to come uh, with a whole new name sometimes. So it can be tricky. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something that I'm, I've been thinking a lot about with my game, mm -hmm. because I have characters who are literally named from lore, right? Like Tripitaka and Sun Wukong is... Uh, the mm -hmm. English translation version that is used in the Journey to the West copies that were really popular right. over here. Um, but yeah, obviously, yeah. like, they are quite popular lore, and so they have uh, different names in, in different regions that are attached to them. And I imagine a lot of the fairy tales and folklore uh, from, like, Europe that I use similarly probably have multiple different names based on what region that they're being told in. Yeah, I mean, one of the things yeah, that we'd like to say, that... sorry, sorry. I'll go ahead. Uh, that one of the things that we like to say uh, every time that we have the opportunity is that video game translators, localizers are the gatekeepers of their culture, right? So to have mm -hmm. that safe space to talk with the developers, to see what's the best thing for each market for that particular game, to have that open communication and to have that knowledge to like, hey, this would be interesting to localize it for this market because it would be more approachable or easy to understand. And that's always like the best case scenario, so to speak. Yeah, and, and in your case, like your game, if you make reference to so many uh, cult, you have so many cultural references, you definitely want to investigate and make sure that you're using the right term since there's probably already a validated uh, version in their language. So yeah, Absolutely. it's very important. And you'll have to Google a lot for that. And, that, and that's why you go to experts, right? This is, this, is, this is why people need to go to experts who do localization versus just trying to like throw it all into Google Translate. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, please we Google, do... but we don't Google Translate. <laughs> that's the yeah. thing. If you're gonna do that, then don't. <laughs> Wait. 
Unless you want a Frankenstein or something. Yeah. <laughs> Out of the translation. Okay. When you see Superman using the car, <laughs> you're still making payments on as a weapon. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that his his face is smiling, but his, his eyes it's are so like sad. In terror. It's like it's sad so expression. Sad. It's like why? Oh, <laughs> four years after college and all of my peers are getting married and I'm just sitting here making BD games <laughs> well that's, having your, cats, that's, a, that's your leading character right it is <laughs> it is and the 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 picture behind her is her um her familiar that's been edited ah, too. Nice. <laughs> subtle additional extra yeah <laughs> that's so cool Like, I feel like it's so interesting that memes are a new way for game developers to connect with their communities and to um, get their characters out there and more relatable. So this is great. <laughs> yeah, that's also very old. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, I'm 10 years out of college now, so... <laughs> you're gonna need to like erase the four but it's okay you can get away with the four don't worry about it when you're working really hard on code for an upcoming deadline <laughs> and bugs <laughs> there is that wonderful song 99 little bugs in the code 99 little bugs <laughs> take one down patch it around 117 bugs in the code <laughs> my god i just feel sad for the poor little charmander here <laughs> yeah his little sad face like yeah i can definitely really oh, oh no it's just, it's... well it's i think like um throughout all of our episodes and interviews one of the the most common meme it was the one of uh, the dog that this is fine uh well everything is on fire so i think this everything is on fire taken to a next level <laughs> <laughs> yeah you taking things you trying to put out the fire is causing more fires right that and is... you are on fire try as you might yeah and that's the end of our meet thank you so much renee for sharing oh, it's a pleasure um those with us um i love to to learn what makes our guests laugh and thanks for making us laugh too Yeah, happy totally. to share, share the laughs um, <laughs> yeah of course it was so nice to have you so nice to learn more about idda and about your project we're really looking forward to to see um when it's gonna be released so as soon as you have more information to share with us please do because we're very uh, excited to learn more about it and thanks everyone for tuning in uh see you thank on our you. next episode of open world bye everyone thank bye. you bye.